All right, uh, good morning. We'll go ahead and get started here with our presentation. Go ahead and uh, introduce ourselves this morning. Um, my name is Greg Connor, and I'm with Bastion Solutions. I've been with Bastion for about 15 years now in a variety of different role, roles. And uh, this morning, uh, we're here to talk to you about uh, how Dick Sporting Goods has transformed their supply chain uh, network through automation. And I'm Matt Cooper. I'm the Director of National Accounts. I've been with Bastion for about seven years now. We were hoping to have representatives from Dick Sporting Goods with us this morning, but unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, they've um, restricted travel within their company. So we'll be uh, trying our best to fill in uh, for those. The good news is we've um, done this presentation or versions of this presentation a couple times at RELA and a couple other events. So I've, we feel pretty confident with the content that they would uh, be overviewing. So our objectives here this morning are we'd like to overview um, the Dick Sporting Goods supply chain and educate you on how they go about bringing uh, their markets to um, the services to their markets. We're going to review some of the data points that led us to the automated solution that we are going to uh, overview here. And that solution um, really helped them redefine their, their um, strategy as terms to how they fulfill their retail stores and also how they combat their growing e-commerce sector. And then we'll, of course, go through the results that we saw from this project. Um, just at a, at a high-level glance, Dick Sporting Goods is um, the largest uh, omni-channel sporting goods provider in the United States. And um, they've, a lot of that has been attributed to uh, acquisition through the years and consolidation within the sporting goods arena. But they've quickly grown to over $8 billion in annual sales and um, over 800 different stores. And by stores, we mean not only Dick's Sporting Goods stores, but also Golf Galaxy and Field and & Streams, which are brands that are uh, wholly owned by Dick's Sporting Goods. They're in a very strong financial position as a company. There's no um, borrowing, they have very, very good um, equity within their company. And they're also aggressively investing in the expansion of their store experience. So as many of you, I'm sure, have been in Dick's Sporting Goods stores, uh, it's, it's, much, it's as much about the experience as it is about the retail component. So whether it be climbing walls or running tracks or opportunities to go uh, test out golf clubs, they're very much so about the experience that their customers have within their uh, stores. So again, uh, very, very strong financial position. The company year-over-year uh, year growth has been on a very strong um, track since the, uh, the coming out of the global recession in 2008, 2009. The fastest growing sector within their company, uh, as with many retail companies, is e-commerce, and that was one of the drivers of this project that we'll be overviewing. So the vision that Dix has for their company is they don't want to just be the best um, sporting goods provider, but they want to be the best sports company in the world. And for them, it's, it's as much about the experience and the involvement within sports, particularly youth sports, as it is about the, um, the actual sales of sporting goods. And whether it be involvement at the professional level, at the collegiate level, or at the youth level, Dick Sporting Goods takes great pride in um, being part of the actual sport itself as opposed to just the retail component. So we'll go through kind of how their supply chain is set up here. 
just as uh, Walmart makes, uh, makes similar type of accolades here, Dick's Sporting Goods takes great pride in the fact that 238 million people live within 30 minutes of one of their 800 stores. And, while that, and why that is so important is it gives them a tremendous advantage, a tremendous leg up when it comes to this omni-fulfillment strategy thing that we're all dealing with and how they can ship from stores, how they can handle returns from stores, but also fulfill orders online. Their supply chain is uh, comprised of a couple different channels. Um, the primary channel, the historic channel for Dick's Sporting Goods are their five regional distribution centers, which are shown um, in the, uh, the dark green circles that are filled in, in R. Um, Phoenix, Arizona is one, Goodyear, Arizona, actually. Uh, they've got one here in Atlanta, Georgia, Indianapolis, Indiana, and then their newest fulfillment center, uh, which is in Conklin, uh, New York. So that is an omni-channel uh, or hybrid, really, approach. So out of that facility, they're um, fulfilling um, retail uh, store orders, but they're also fulfilling orders uh, for e-commerce. Dick Sporting Goods also partners with uh, 3PL, and they do that uh, for orders that are shipped in the center part of the United States out of Louisville, Kentucky, and they also have another um, 3PL facility which is located near Los Angeles, which uh, handles the burden of e-commerce orders on the west coast of the U.S. So one of the really cool aspects of Dick's Sporting Goods is Conklin, uh, New York. And Conklin, New York is a, a located very, very close to where it all began for Dick's Sporting Goods many years ago. In fact, this video that's playing now is highlighting the very first store that uh, Dick Stack opened. And the story behind that was that uh, when, he, when he got out of the uh, Army, he was um, working for an Army um, goods you know, uh, type of store there in uh, Binghamton, New York. And um, he was an avid fisherman. And his boss at the time asked him if he could put together a list of all of the different uh, fishing components that they would need, different types of equipment, if they wanted to start selling, to, selling fishing equipment. So he did that, spent a couple days working on it, came back, delivered it to his boss. And his boss told him it was the worst list that he'd ever seen in his life and he should have done it himself. So Dick went home, and he was living with his grandma at the time, and shared the story with his grandma. And she said, uh, "Well, how much would it, how much money would it take for you to open up your own store?" And he said, "I think it'd take about three hundred dollars." So she went into the kitchen, and uh, went into her savings, and pulled out three hundred dollars and handed it to him. And he opened that that store that we're seeing in the video there, which eventually became the very first Dick Sporting Goods. So Transcend uh, to 2018, and this is the facility that opened in, in um, Conklin, New York, uh, very close to that very first store. So <clears throat> this area of the country is, is very important to Dick's Sporting Goods, and since they say that they're going home, if you will. So uh, the facility, which uh, was built on top of a mountain, in fact, um, you can kind of tell from the pictures there, they flattened the top of the mountain, they uh, created wetlands uh, from an environmental perspective, but... Uh, a LEED certified, uh, extremely impressive facility. And now I'm going to turn it over to Matt, who's going to walk us through the uh, two different solutions that we implemented in Conklin. So this is the Conklin facility. Um, 
You see it's kind of broken up into two unique parts. Over here is the store replenishment side, and then on the left here is the e-commerce side of the building. So what we'll do is we'll kind of go through the store replenishment first, and then we'll get into the e-commerce side of the building. Uh, this is the result of a, of a simulation we ran for the retail side of the, uh, of the building. So we're gonna kind of watch the video flow through so you kind of have a good idea of how the facility looks overall. So this is the receiving side of the building. So they have different uptakes that all merge together and head to the receiving sorter. And the, once you get to the receiving sorter here, you break off into various areas. You can go to um, the hard line area, you can go to backstock, you can go to the um, break pack area, which you see here. Additionally, we can go to uh, a QA area. We have reserve or backstock in the middle of the building. Here's the QA area where they're checking the quality on the inbound cartons and then to the shipping side of the building here. So now we'll kind of touch on each one of those a little more in depth. Uh, we use Cognex Vision for our scanning and dimensioning, Hytrol Conveyor, Pictolite, um, Pallet Flow, and Reserve Rack to fulfill inside this building. So this is the receiving area here. We have nine uptakes. So trucks are backed into the facility. At that point, you're fluid unloading onto one of nine uptake lines. Each one of those uptake lines will um, dimension and scan the carton. If it is de designated for backstock, it gets diverted off. Otherwise, it carries into the facility and it runs up into the receiving sorter. The receiving sorter can handle 131 inbound cases per minute. There are um, five cross dock lines and three brake pack lines that come off of that sorter. Additionally, they have a lot of non-conveyables. I mean, imagine kayaks and tree stands. There's all kinds of interesting things that flows through a Dick Sporting Goods store. So those kind of items are unloaded via fork truck or clamp truck and moved to the correct parts of the building. Um, the brake pack area is an area where they take these vendor inbound cartons and break them down into um, store-bound quantities. So there are 28 different brake pack lanes inside the brake pack area. Each one of them has, I think it's 116 store locations. So they kind of segment the business into, let's say footwear, apparel, uh, other goods. And so each one of the stores has a unique carton in that area. And so what happens as we route the vendor cartons in, they use RF guns and put to light, so they'll scan the inbound case, and then it'll light up where they need to break that case down. So these two go to store A, these two go to store B, these four go to store C. Once that store case is complete, they'll push it off onto a conveyor and it'll go through some uh, semi-automatic tapers and then get routed to the shipping sorter. Uh, we use an overhead monorail system to feed the uh, empty store-bound cases in so they, they pull those off the overhead monorail, label them and scan them and designate them for a store. Once the cross dock, the other processing areas and the brake pack are all done, they head toward the shipping system. So we merge all that together, uh, scan it, and then divert it down to one of 38 different down lanes. Um, each one of the down lanes, we have ceiling hung accumulation down into belts 
uh, decline, and then to gravity staging on the floor. At that point, a team member scans the case and builds, uh, allocates it to the correct store pallet and builds that pallet. Once the pallet is done, it is stretch wrapped and then placed into a staging area for shipping. Each one of the staging areas, you'll notice here we use Mallard Pallet Flow on the upper level and then it's on the floor in, uh, underneath. So basically those two lanes on top of each other are designated for a specific store. So the conveyable cases are cases that come down and, and they build the pallet. Those go on the top pallet flow and then the non-cons go beneath it on the floor. So once that store goods are all together, then they'll back the truck up and then load the truck via uh, pallet lift trucks to uh, load the truck for going to the store. Very few stores require a full truck, so you'll normally get two to three stores per truck as it goes out of the building. So as we um, finished the first phase of this project, uh, it, at the same time Dick Sporting Goods was evaluating their e-commerce business and some of the constraints that I alluded to earlier in that they had uh, a partnership, still do, with the 3PL, but it was concentrated in the center of the country and a little bit of um, help on the West Coast. So with the expansion, 15% year in, year out growth in e-commerce, fastest growing sector within their business, they understood quickly that there would be a need to have some type of node within their supply chain to concentrate on e-commerce fulfillment on the East Coast. And it made sense um, to focus, those, focus that attention at the Conklin facility. There was roughly 400,000 square feet that was available to be expanded, to be added onto the building, and it could be stood up very quickly. Some of the key data points that we looked at uh, as we helped Dick Sporting Goods through this process was the speed and the capacity of their fulfillment. And geographically, where should the, these e-commerce facilities be located? So we felt uh, after the, the project, after we reviewed the data and, and some of their, their order profiles and their customer base, that the center of the country was really captured well with their existing model uh, of using a 3PL. Likewise, there was expansion with their existing 3PL um, to increase coverage on the West Coast with the facility they had in Los Angeles. But at the same time, Dick Sporting Goods wanted to take on a more active role in the management of their e-commerce business, and that led us to Conklin. Number one, we already had a facility there, we already had management staff, they already had an infrastructure in place, but it, the Conklin would allow them to get to pretty much any one of the major cities on, along the East Coast within one day, and that was a driving factor within the decision. So the engineering study uh, methodology that we undertook with Dick Sporting Goods is a proven one. Um, we wanted to define what the problem was that we were trying to solve for. We wanted to take uh, active measurements of what their e-commerce fulfillment strategy looked like at a point in time. We were gonna analyze those results and then put together a complex design and validate those results through simulation. So some of the different key uh, data characteristics that we took a look at, um, some of the metrics, we looked at units per line, we looked at the number of lines they had per order, we looked at uh, active SKUs uh, per day, looked at the, the number of average lines per day, and we looked at the average units per day. And, and as you would imagine, the Pareto, as with many retailers, uh, 
there's a ton of SKUs. In fact, Dick's Sporting Goods has over 300,000 active SKUs. But the, the other challenge is those closely follow the 80-20 rules. So we have this enormous tail in the Pareto that we have to solve for. So um, just the, the, the complexity of what kind of system can we put in to store and make readily available to pick these different items. The other challenge here was um, the spike that many retailers, including Dick's Sporting Goods, see in demand. So they, when you compare their average day to their peak day, as you can imagine, it's, it's tremendously different. So now we'll step through the material handling solution for the e-commerce. Um, as Greg said, you know, there was a lot of data analytics to be done to understand what type of facility uh, we should use for Dick Sporting Goods. And we really considered all different sorts of technologies, anywhere from a fully manual building up through a fully automated building, and try to understand what was the best use of their capital dollars to, to service their athletes uh, in this e-commerce world. Uh, we had great data since they were already using their 3PL for their e-commerce, so we understood what that demand looked like. And as Greg showed earlier, we saw the growth that they've seen and the growth they're projecting. So we had a good data set to work on and um, to come to the solution that, that we did. So this is a close-up rendering of the e-commerce expansion. They were able to expand about 250,000 square feet uh, onto the about 600,000 they already had for the retail side. Uh, as Greg said, we, they basically chopped off the top of a, of a mountain or a, a big hill. Uh, so they really were space constrained. So it was very important that they could fit the solution inside of that 250,000 square. So uh, the main components you'll see uh, are the auto store here. And then we have a pick module, manual pick module in this area. And then we have our basically our shipping or our packing area here and then our shipping at the bottom of the page. Um, I wanted to show an overview of the facility. We designed this in two very unique phases. There was phase one that you just saw, and this is a top view of phase two. So what you'll see different in phase two is we grew the auto store out here, as well as added a secondary pick module along this wall, and then increased the number of packing areas and shipping down lanes. Um, the other thing that is very interesting we talk about it being in two separate parts of the building. It really is two separate systems. There's only one interaction point, and that is right here you see these two green conveyors coming through the wall. So this wall here is what divides the retail and the e-commerce part. Those two um, lines coming in are basically a way to replenish the forward pick faces inside of the e-commerce area. So as they receive vendor cases in, they'll break off a certain percentage for the e-com business, and the rest of it stay in the retail side of the building. But once it crosses that wall, it goes into a separate side of Manhattan, and it lives there. So I first want to focus on the auto store as the main picking technology. Um, this auto store uh, is a solution where you stack bins on top of bins, and then there are robots that drive on top of the grid. All right, then the robots deliver the pick from, or the, the bins with the SKUs in them to an operator. The operator can then pick those SKUs. Auto store is very dense, densely stored because the goods are stacked on top of each other. 
Uh, it's also very configurable. As you can see, we work around building columns or other um, possible impediments inside the building. The auto store you see here is about 30,000 square feet. It holds approximately 100,000 bins and has over 100 robots on top. There are operator pick ports around the perimeter of the auto store, as well as good in, goods in or replenishment ports. So why did we choose auto store for this um, facility? Uh, obviously, a reduced number of touch points and walking for the operator to get the goods. With that long tail, we got to think about the density. How do you store all of these slow-moving SKUs in a very small footprint? So that high density was a very important part of the solution. Additionally, with the e-commerce, and we talked about the 80-20 rule, there is good ways and efficiencies to batch orders. So we wanted to make sure we capitalize on batching orders that we are picking. So in this video here, you see an operator doing picks from the auto store. So she is interfacing with the auto store to carousel port. The orange totes you see around her are order totes. So they could be um, single line, single piece orders. They could be multi-line orders. Um, but once they are picked complete, she then pushes them on a conveyor, and that conveyor takes them to the processing area. But as we talked about with the batching, you're able to bring one inventory tote down and potentially place that inventory in one of those six, two of those six, or up to six of those six orders. And it's all directed via put to light, as you can see flashing there. The second pick methodology inside of this solution is the pick module. This pick module has bin shelving, carton flow, and pallet flow, depending on the different velocities of the SKUs. So the orders start at the auto store and then are conveyed to the pick module if they need picks from the pick module. So we convey it into the pick module. It diverts into the correct zone where orders or the SKUs live for those orders. Once in those zones, the operator uses an RF device, scans the tote, and then goes and completes the order. Once the picking is done, we put the tote back on the conveyor system, it's re-inducted and either routed to a secondary spot inside the pick module or it is conveyed out to the uh, processing area if the picks are complete. This pick module is four levels tall and it's able to flex its labor by controlling the zone size. So we're able to support over 100 pickers during those peak times, but then scale that back during off-peak times. This shows the RF devices they're using as well as um, walking through that bin module area uh, with cart and the totes that we saw earlier at the auto store. And then lastly, we talk about the outbound processing area. So at this point, the orders are picked complete to these various totes. So again, we're trying to batch pick as much as we can to have as much efficiency on the pick side and we get to the outbound order processing. We look at orders as how they are set up, both with single line, single piece orders, two line orders, and multi-line orders. So Dick's Sporting Goods um, has continued to see an increase in apparel in their business. 
So in order to take that and, and gain efficiencies in the pack of the apparel, we use auto baggers. So they're seeing three to four times productivity improvement rates using those auto baggers. So they basically try to route any single line, single piece order that is baggable to the auto baggers for efficiency. Additionally, the two line and the multi-line orders go to put walls. And at that point, they are breaking the batched order into the various uh, actual discrete orders into the put wall. Once complete, the operator on the other side of the wall is pulling those items out, selecting the correct corrugate container for that order size, and placing those, the contents into that corrugate container. Once the corrugate container is full uh, or complete, they will then ship it through a dunnage machine, a semi-automated taper, as well as uh, a weigh in motion scale to get that final manifest weight, and then a print and apply label for the ship label. So we show both the auto bagger and the taper there. Uh, lastly, we go to the shipping area. So here we are processing both bagged goods and boxes in cor or corrugated boxes. So for the corrugated boxes, we merge it all together onto a hydro shoe sorter uh, that is capable of handling over 100 cases per minute down one of six down lanes. So once it is diverted, it goes down a spiral and then fluid loaded onto a carrier depending on carrier type and uh, service level for that order. The bagged items are onto an active roller belt, ARB type sorter, an intralox belt sorter, where we singulate those, induct those onto the sorter, and then divert it to one of 12 different Gaylords. And that again is designated by carrier and service level. Once those Gaylords are full, then we move those onto the truck as well to be processed at that specific carrier's um, facility. So you see the shoe sorter on the right and then your ARB on the left. So from a process or timeline for the install, we had a very aggressive timeline for this. Um, and you wanna see that we targeted an August go live and this was very specific for uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. They wanted to make sure that this direct-to-athlete business was not interrupted. So we targeted August to give plenty of time to ramp up and test and train the operators. So when we entered that peak season, we were ready to go. What we didn't want to have happen is, you know, we were delayed in that and, uh, and the operators weren't ready or the system wasn't ready for that peak, uh, the peak increase in orders. Uh, so. Uh, it was about an 18-month overall duration. So we were starting doing data analysis well over a year before the go-live to really understand what they needed to do and how we needed to accomplish it. After we went live in August, we did several um, kind of test ramp-ups to understand how the system would operate in those peak time periods. It's very hard to simulate that, and we did that with launching several different products. Uh, they did Yeezy sneakers, for one of their launches, which was a very uh, high demand, quick turn for them. Once they got the product in, they turned it in the same day. So we were able to try to simulate what it was like to get into uh, those higher volumes at peak. And, and I'll add too that it, for Dick Sporting Goods to take the conservative approach that they did um, was not an easy decision. I mean, they faced a lot of pressure from their CEO, from their board of directors to bring the system online faster and roll it out to the entire network. 
and by uh, taking that extra step of going live in August in a controlled manner and really go through, going through a very detailed and organized and thorough testing environment, it just made that actual go live in October so much more smooth. So when they got to their busy part of the year, they didn't miss a beat. And it was one of the most successful um, e-commerce uh, holiday shipping seasons that their company has experienced. So some of the results and uh, takeaways, it was uh, a you know, very successful project, both on the retail side and also on the e-commerce side that we followed up with a, a year later. But uh, for Dick Sporting Goods, really the measuring stick at the end of the day was you know, for the selection of their vendors as well as all of the different uh, people that they hired and their own internal project team was, you know, did it help their overall organization be more successful in that uh, peak time of the year? And the answer to that was a resounding yes. So um, they have continued uh, efforts to, to roll out similar type solutions around the world and um, we're very, very happy to be part of this project. So at this time, uh, Matt and myself would be happy to take any questions that, that you have. Uh, we'll do our best to answer on behalf of Dick's Sporting Goods. But, uh, and if there are questions that we can't answer, we can work to get you those answers. I think the, uh, the question was, why did Dick's Sporting Goods and Bastion Solutions elect not to use voice technology? Right, so they chose to do, um, they chose to stick with RF inside the, uh, like the PIC modules, for example, um, basically because the SKUs are so dense, um, I don't think they would have seen the benefit of voice. They felt like the RF using the, basically, um, the ring, wrist, scanners. ring scanners or wrist mounted, you still have both hands to operate. And the way they ramp up so much and then ramp back down with their labor, it felt like the RF was um, easier to train on and easier to, uh, to get going and then take back down. So that's where they went with that. So in, in the pick module, so the question was, how do we deal with trash? And I think it was both within the pick module and I would assume around auto store as well. Is that, is that correct? So there's a couple different ways that we handle trash throughout the system. In the retail side, they have dedicated, uh, on, on that side of the system, and the, the RDC side, if you will, they have dedicated trash um, conveyor system. Within the pick module itself, because we were you know, very close quarters, we collect that in bins and then they're brought to open areas within the pick module where they can be um, picked up by Gaylords, by Ford trucks, and the same kind of way around Auto Store. We wanted to make the Auto Store area as hybrid and as flexible as possible. So since we're only manning some of these areas at certain peak times of the year, we didn't feel like it was justifiable to add a uh, permanent trash conveyor system. So the question was, are there customers out there that are using robotic picking within AutoStore? Um, yes, there are different clients who are experimenting using robotic picking at a goods-to-person port. Um, what we're seeing is that um, it's definitely, people are very interested in getting to that point, 
um, depending on your product mix and what those SKUs look like uh, and the, the uh, velocity of picks or the, the speed of the picks, um, it could be a viable solution. Um, it's something that we can definitely address and talk about your specific application later. We are actually showing this technology at our booth, so if you do have interest in seeing um, uh, goods to robot picking at an auto store port, we'd be happy to talk to you more about that. So we cannot disclose their uh, projected uh, payback period. That was one of the things that they, they wanted us to keep confidential, but we can tell you that they're trending very well to that. Top three struggles in implementing? Is that correct? I don't know. Yeah, it was a really smooth project. Yeah, it was. I think, um, I would say, I mean, one that, that comes to mind was, this was one of the first uh, auto store installations in New York, so, and it was more so, it wasn't a challenge, it was just educating the municipality on, you know, what fire, um, fire response technology and sprinkler systems and suppression type stuff was going to be required. Um, at one point, they asked us to perform a burn test and some other stuff, so, it wasn't so much as a challenge that was unique to the project, it was unique to the technology and, and one that we hadn't seen or foreseen in a while. One question that we get uh, often is, why did we not use AutoStore uh, for the entire storage and picking solution? And Matt, I'd be interested to hear kind of your thoughts on that. Right, so it's, it's important to look at um, the overall capital expenditure of the project and to understand um, if that's the right way to go or not with the project. So um, for like Dick's Sporting Goods, we needed to balance out the speed of the SKU set, right, versus if, if it fits in auto store, uh, or if it doesn't fit in auto store, how fast it turns. So there's a lot of different um, factors that play into how automated you make that system. Um, for Dick's Sporting Goods, we really looked at that overall SKU set and really with that big long tail, those items that fit in auto store made a lot of sense to store there. But then to move the remaining balance that moves through the facility in auto store, it would have really expanded the size of the auto store and might have been um, capital um, prohibitive for them to invest fully automating that system. Yeah, the question was, you know, what is our thought process behind what items would get slotted in auto store versus in another um, more conventional pick module arrangement or other picking arrangement? And I think one of, uh, one of the most um, common misconceptions is I want to put my fastest movers in auto store. And that's not always true. And then there's also the, the idea, well, I want to put my slowest movers in auto store. And that also isn't always true. Generally, what we look for is that, that um, subset, so it's not your A's, it's maybe your A minuses or your B movers, and we're going to put those and maybe your C's and your D's within AutoStore, but then those products that are at the very bottom of the tail that really 
that don't have a lot of velocity from a cost per square foot standpoint, we're going to want to put those in more of a conventional picking module. And I think the other thing is that for any successful system is you've got to keep reevaluating the movement of your SKUs and then continue to redefine what's going to be slotted where and at what point in the year. I mean, one of the things that Dick Sporting Goods does, as many of our other customers do as well, is they'll take a look at their sales projections and their historical data, and they'll actually move products or SKUs out of Auto Store back into the conventional module and move other stuff into Auto Store throughout the year. Yeah, so like with Dick's particularly, um, during that peak season, they utilize a lot of people in that pick module and a lot of fast move, faster moving SKUs in the pick module, but during the slow seasons, they can actually move a lot of those SKUs into the auto store and fulfill a larger percentage of their picks from the auto store during those slower seasons. So they're really utilizing the, uh, the investment in auto store as much as they possibly can, both in the slow and the peak seasons. Any other questions? Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning.